Well, good morning to you. It's good to be back here uh, behind this uh, pulpit or lectern or music stand, really, is what it is. You know, when I was pastoring in Bakersfield, I had a uh, fine gentleman make me a pulpit, and it was huge. I mean, it was like this wide and probably this high. I looked like a little kid behind it, you know? <laughs> and I think I preached from behind that for like four years, so... I got used to it eventually, ended up giving it, uh, when we closed the church down, I gave it to another friend, and he was not much bigger than I am, so he looked kind of silly behind it too, but hey, it worked, and there were many uh, great messages that uh, came from behind his anyway, I don't know about mine, but it's good to be back with you. Uh, Pastor Corey called me this uh, week earlier and said, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it, uh, can you get something ready for Sunday? And I said, I will be glad to. Uh, I said to the Monday night fellowship that I attend uh, that uh, actually I wanted to do this part of the message last time I was here uh, speaking to you. And uh, it just I just knew it was not going to work because it was going to make the message too long. And I didn't want to keep you through lunch or whatever, you know. So I thought, you know what, I'll just go ahead and save that for another time. And so I've come and kind of elaborated on it and all, and uh, I pray that uh, God would speak to you and I and that uh, to both of us, all of us, and that uh, we might therefore grow by what we're about to hear. You know, all of us will say a hearty amen when say, how are you saved? You say, by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. And, and you're absolutely right. It's not by works that we are saved. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So it's grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But you know, it's also important to know that that's the way we grow as well. We don't grow by uh, all of a sudden becoming very religious or doing all kinds of things that, that are going to earn us somehow God's favor. We grow by grace. The old hymn says that even when we get home to heaven, we're going to know that it was all done by grace. Grace is simply the word unmerited favor. It means that we didn't earn it, we can't earn it, and that's exactly what we're going to learn today. Now, I'm not one to title my messages. I've got a friend down in Hanford, California, Pastor Gene Pensiero, who gives really clever titles to his messages all the time. They're always kind of, uh, what would you call it, like contemporary, you know, things that are going on in society today or whatever, a movie or a, a TV show or whatever. He's always got a clever name for his messages. Well, mine are a little bit dull compared to his. But I have titled this message, I'm calling it The Flesh Versus the Spirit, or, subtitle, The Victorious Supremacy of love. And that's what we're going to learn today. Uh, I think that most of us, if you're saved, if you've been saved for any time, you have found that the Christian life is not so much a playground like maybe some people think, but it's way more of a battleground. It's a battle all the time. And I think you'll also agree with me that, that most of the battles that we face are actually inwardly. They're inside of us. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to say that anymore. I don't want to react that way anymore. You wives will probably nod your heads and say, he always reacts wrong, you know? 
He can't stand correction, you know? He can't stand when I ask him when we're driving, do you know where you're going? You know, right? Well, of course I know where I'm going. Don't you know? I've memorized it, you know? Thank God for GPS, amen? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's saved a lot of arguments in the car, you know? So uh, my wife is a great, uh, and I'm not going to call her a backseat driver. She's the shotgun rider, and she makes sure that I know everything is going on on the highway while I'm driving. You know, and I have to admit that a lot of times I don't respond real well, okay? But that's exactly what we're going to be speaking of today. The things that come out of us that we really don't like ourselves for when we're done. I just read the uh, devotion for today out of the Daily Bread. I don't know if you guys, uh, anybody gets that. I love the Daily Bread. I love those people. They're wonderful Christian people. They do that for absolutely free. And uh, they'll give it to any church that wants it if you just ask for it, you know. I love those people. They're just generous, wonderful Christians. And all of the devotions are uh, they're just great. Well, today's is really great because it speaks of the idea that sometimes when we're ministering, the guy says, I was a pastor, and I thought if I'd blown it substantially during the week, responding to my wife when she asked me where do I knew where I'm going or whatever, right? He didn't say it, but, but you know, he says... I would think, I shouldn't stand up in front of the people this week and speak. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it, you know? He says, but I'm learning that actually even that, God uses us in spite of our flaws. He uses us in spite of when we blow it. We're going to learn how to stay on the right path with the Lord today. I think that's important for us to remember. Just keep in mind that this is all a work of His Spirit. This is all a work of His grace. And if we just yield, just give in and say, I surrender, Lord, and let Him do that work, you'll find yourself responding and reacting in ways that are more pleasing to everybody around you, including yourself. Let's open, if you would, to the book of Galatians, and we're going to read from chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 and beginning with verse 16. We're only going to read a few verses to get the gist of my message just through the scriptures that we're reading. Would you stand with me in honor of the word of God as Pastor Corey has so wonderfully taught us. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's all the bad news. Now the good news. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
And I like this, against such there is no law. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing inside of us. Lord, I have spoken before and told people many times, I think I told this group, Lord, uh, when I spoke last time, you love us just the way that we are, just the way that you find us, no matter where we are, Lord, in, in the gutter or in a penthouse, Lord. You love us the way we are, and yet, Lord, you love us too much to leave us the way that you find us. Thank you for that, Lord. Though it can be painful to go through this growing process, Lord, we know, Lord, that your scripture, your word says that all things work together for the good. May I add to the eternal good for those that love the Lord, for those that are called according to his purposes. We thank you for that. Thank you for your promises, Lord. Thank you for uh, showing us in your word, Lord, that you are going to finish the work that you began in us. We commit that to you, Lord, and we ask that you do that work even today. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Paul, the apostle, was very keen on his followers, his congregation, if you would, growing in their faith. Remember last time we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He was always concerned about these things. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul wrote to the Roman church, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You've been saved. God wants to change you. I, I was at the Bible bookstore, uh, The Sower, I guess it's called, in Coeur d'Alene, uh, day before yesterday, and they have masks for sale there, and uh, I love their masks. They, they, they say neat, they're neat testimonies, and I don't like wearing a mask, but I would wear this one because the one that they, they had that I didn't buy, I should have bought it, it said on the front of it, Jesus changed my life. He did, he changed my life. Remember, I told you last time that maybe in the beginning he uh, took away the desire to drink or to do drugs or to live immorally. And I was happy that those things were out of my life. I didn't have to face that guilt every morning when I woke up with a hangover. Or every time I, I recognized and realized I'd, I'd been in debauchery again, you know? There are things that I'm really ashamed of that I did before I became a Christian. But I learned pretty early on that God had a deeper work to do. He wanted to, to really cleanse my insides out so that I would respond differently, so that I would behave differently. You know, it's those inward acts, you know, out of the heart proceed, you know, all those bad things. And, and so I didn't realize that, that that was basically my flesh fighting against the spirit that was now dwelling in me. So it says you are not going to obey the lusts of the flesh if we would just walk in the spirit. Now, we typically assign to the word lust just sexual things, you know, right? It's, that's all it is, just you're, you're, you're sexually lusting. But it has a lot more to do about a lot more things. That's just one of them. As we're going to see today, even religiosity or legalism 
is a lust of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. That's not how we're going to obtain the favor that God wants to bestow upon us. Paul says, walk in the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, if you're born again, and I hope everybody here is born again, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he lives in me, and we must be open and sensitive to his influence in our lives. As born-again believers, we are instructed by the Bible to pattern our lives after the influence that the Holy Spirit would give to us. And nobody loves, likes or loves to be convicted of sin. Nobody likes that, you know? But have you noticed the difference between, between being condemned by the devil, by the enemy of our souls, and being convicted by the Holy Spirit? You know, you're, when you're condemned by the devil, you go, oh man, I'm, I'm just crumb, I'm a worm, you know? But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, oh Lord, that hurts, but you know what, you're right. You're right. That's the right way to be. We're going to see that the works of the flesh are not becoming of the Christian man or woman. They don't look good on us. They don't fit the pattern of who we are now that we've been born again. The Holy Spirit's main function is to promote and to speak of Jesus. He speaks to the unbeliever of Jesus and convicts them of their sin. But when, once we become a believer, he continues to speak to us and to convict us onto maturity. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit's coming, said, when the helper comes, the parakletos, when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He speaks a lot of Jesus. He points us to Jesus. You know, it's not, you know, uh, I, I want to behave like that man. I mean, it's great if there, you, you find an example that you can follow. Paul even said many times, follow me as I follow Jesus. But really the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. Does anybody remember the old uh, What Would Jesus Do campaign? We had the bracelets and all that kind of stuff. That really is a great question, okay? As long as we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit, it's a great thing to consider. How did Jesus act? What did Jesus do? What would he do in this situation? We ought to be asking that all the time. Question. Is walking in the Spirit just another form of license? In other words, you know, just, just do whatever because you, can, you just ask for forgiveness and you're forgiven. And these are truths, okay? But walking in the Spirit is not another form of license, nor is it legalism. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, now with the Lord in heaven, he was an excellent uh, theologian in the 20th century, he said this, life by the Spirit is neither license nor legalism, nor is it a middle ground between the two. It is a life of faith and a life of love that is above all of life's false ways. Everything that you thought was right before you were born again, you're finding out oh, it wasn't so right after all. Verse 16 again says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. St. Augustine, first century theologian, 
He said, love God and then do whatever you please. That's so true. If you're loving God, do whatever you want, as long as you know it's going to please God. That's what he went on to say. Of course, Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll fulfill all of the law. You won't need the law anymore because you fulfilled it. That sums it up. Walking in the Spirit and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, you see, are incongruous. That is, they're opposite of each other. They simply do not and cannot go together. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fill, fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It takes in all the corrupt desires, walking in the flesh, which we as humans are more or less infected. Things like pride and hatred and covetousness, impatience, and even more. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, I do not deny that the lust of the flesh includes carnal lust, but it takes in much more, as we're going to see. Verse 17 goes on to say, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. I like what the new translation, how the new translation says this. It says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The Apostle Paul bemoaned this truth, this inner battle. When he wrote in Romans chapter 7 at verse 19, he said, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. <laughs> Later on in that passage, verse 24 of chapter 7, Paul cries out. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever thought that kind of thing? You think, oh, man, I just can't, I can't get over that hump. I just simply can't seem to break that bad habit. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? But don't, don't give up, you see, because God isn't finished with you yet. He promised, Philippians 1.6, that he would complete the work that he began in you. Women, ladies, this is not like your husband who starts a project and it's left undone for five years, you know, right? When are you going to finish that project? I, I'll get around to it, you know, right? God says, I'm going to finish that work and he promises to deliver us to the throne of God, faultless, perfect, intact. That's a great promise to cling on to. You might feel like, there's no way. I've got, there's way too much work for God to do in me for him to present me faultless. But that's what his word says. You can argue with me, but I'm just going to point to that scripture, you know. He's going to finish the work. And so Paul enthusiastically declares after asking how am I going to get rid of this body of death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank God that Jesus died and rose again. That we might be born again. And then, after being born again, he sent the Holy Spirit to us that we might overcome our old nature, now to live by the promptings of God's own spirit. 
I would ask this question right now. Are you born again? Do you know what it means to be born again? I've talked to people before. You know, I like Christians, but I just don't like those born again types. You know what? I got news for you. There is no other type, okay? There's only born again or you're not a Christian. Jesus said it. He said, most assuredly, speaking to Nicodemus that night, they were secretly meeting. And Jesus told Nicodemus after Nicodemus had marveled over the miracles that Jesus was doing. No man can know. Man, you're doing great things, you know. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, I like the old King James, it says, verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's only one kind of Christian, and that's a born-again Christian. You must be born again. I've been asked many times, but why should I be born again? Why must I be born again? It's simple, because the first time you were born, you were born all wrong. You were born broken or busted, as some of the young people would say. You were busted in many ways, you know? Actually, before we were born again, before I was born again, the Bible says that I was dead in trespasses and sins. If you're not born again, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You are a walking dead man or walking dead woman. You need to be born again. Having been born again, Christian, we are now to crucify our old nature. That is, we are to put the old man to death. And the old man is, the, the list of things we're going to read here, the works of the flesh, that's the old man that's battling against the new man, the spirit of God in us, that's prompting us to do things that are right, that are blessed, that are a blessing to others, that are well-pleasing unto God. Galatians 5.18 continues, it says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Again, this is not license, but it's certainly not legalism. God is just trying to change our hearts, change us from the inside out. The outer appearances, you know, they're, they're people that look really good. You know, they, they look great. They look very religious. You know, they, they get a glazed look in their eyes when they pray, you know, or, you know, they lift their head to heaven or, you know, whatever they do. And looks, they, they look really good. But what's going on on the inside is what matters to God. the lust of the flesh, that we as humans have the natural tendency to obey. One of those is legalism. You know, we get saved, we get to a church, and we find out that they have certain rules that you abide by. If you abide by them, then you're A-okay. If you don't abide by them, then you're not okay. That's legalism. As I commented to the Monday night Bible study that I attend, I said, you know, one thing we got to remember that is that man, and that includes you and me, man is incurably religious. We want to make a religion out of everything, you know? Let's make a religion of how we take communion or how we're baptized or how we sit when we're in church, how we stand, how we kneel. Everything is a religious concept to us. Again, those are all outward. God wants to work on the insides. 
So we get to our, at least one of the main texts of our study today, the works of the flesh. Now understand that this list is not conclusive. So that if, if you don't see your particular sin on this list, it doesn't mean that you get a free pass, okay? This is not conclusive. This is just an idea and some of the things that Paul observed within the church. And I'm sure if he came here to Calvary Rathdrum, he'd observe the same things. But the Holy Spirit is telling us today, I'd like to change that in you if you would just allow me to do so. So I'm going to read from verses 19 to 21 once again. It says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This list is really pretty well self-explanatory, but I'm going to take some time to give you a little more explanation on a few of these that are listed for us, the works of the flesh. Adultery, the first one mentioned, is pretty self-explanatory, pretty well understood by most people. When two people who are married to others and yet they're engaging in sexual relationship, that is called adultery. And remember that adultery was one of the top 10 that God gave to Moses there on Mount Sinai, etched it in with his finger on the, stones of, uh, the tablets of stone. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm still an old King James guy, you know? Shall not commit adultery. It was pretty plain. Next one is fornication, and fornication really has an expanded meaning. It certainly includes any sex out of a loving, committed marriage, sex before marriage, uh, sex with someone who you're not married to, even though you're not married, whatever. That is called fornication. The word in the Greek is porneia, and porneia is where we get our English word pornography. And so you get the idea. Fornication is any sexual debauchery or harlotry, and we ought to stay away from it. Certainly can include adultery, and, but a lot of other things like rape and incest. And, and as I mentioned, viewing pornography for some kind of, divert, uh, what would you call it, perverted pleasure. The next on the list is uncleanness. And this would be just basic immoral impurity or moral impurity, including impure speech. You know, uh, there are people who just love to uh, cuss like a sailor or whatever, you know. It's not becoming of a Christian. Those jokes that are, have the double meanings or the double entendre or whatever they say, those are not something that we as Christians ought to be engaging in. It's unclean. Lewdness would be similar to uncleanness, although I would add that this also speaks, I believe, of those who flaunt their immorality. They flaunt it. And you just say, yeah, that's, that's gross. That's just perverted. You know, I don't like that. I don't like to hear people talking about that kind of stuff. 
Then the next on the list is idolatry. It's very interesting that idolatry, false religious practices, are included in this list of the works of the flesh. Remember the Ten Commandments? We mentioned them before, but the very first commandment that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel was, you shall have no other gods before me. God then said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth below. You shall not make an image and bow down to it. There are a lot of people today who say, well, we don't do that kind of stuff anymore. You know, I don't, you know, I don't have statues or I don't have, you know, uh, I, I'm not worshiping idolatrous things, you know. And I say, no, you're not. How about that Maserati that you polish every day, you know? How about that relationship that you've placed before God? How about that career move that you've placed before God? We can put a lot of things before God. God just, he wants to be a part of our lives. He wants us to consult with him, to pray, and to ask him on these things instead of just going, you know, full steam ahead, whatever we want to do. That is putting other things before God. You shall have no other gods before me. Next on Paul's list is sorcery. Actually, in the King James Version, it says witchcraft here. And witchcraft, especially young people, listen to me carefully, witchcraft, God's saying, don't do these things, would include Ouija boards, seances, astrology even. We're not to be involved in these sorts of things because they turn us from God to false gods. We're not to be a part of those things. They are anti-Christian and really anti-God. Interesting that in the King James Version, when it says witchcraft, the word in the Greek is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. Does that remind you of any word? Pharmacy. Okay, and so God is saying here, don't get involved in those things. It's like witchcraft. When you start smoking marijuana, I smoked a lot of marijuana before I got saved. And I tell in my testimony, I tell the young people, you know what? I'm not going to tell you that it made me stupid. It made me real lazy, but it didn't make me stupid. I'm not going to tell you that it, that it uh, really, uh, uh, you know, made me just, just uh, a bad guy or whatever. But you know what it did? It drew me away from God to a false God. I put it before God, and it was witchcraft. And that's what drug use is. You know that drug use, especially hallucinogenic drugs, still to this day are commonly used in seances and other witchcraft activities. It really aids them in what they're doing. We are to steer clear far from it. Instead of an altered state of mind, God's word commands us to be sober-minded and to be clear-thinking, especially in these wicked days in which we are living. We should be clear-minded, sober-minded. After sorcery, Paul lists hatred as a work of the flesh. Hatred. 
Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. Can you get the connotation there? That's wise advice. Hatred stirs up strife, but love will cover a multitude of sins. God's love certainly covers a multitude of our sins, and God is telling us to have a different attitude so that when somebody sins against us or we see somebody who's sinning, maybe it's not against us, but whoa, we're just, we're disgusted by what they're doing, you know? Love covers a multitude of sins. We can say, you know what? I want to go help that person, not just, uh, you know, blast them for it or whatever. After sorcery, Paul then says, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. That would be, you know, flying off the handle. You ever know somebody just flies off the handle, they get angry, and right away they're ready to just start punching out, you know? Starting to let their fists start swinging or whatever. God says, don't behave that way. I want to change you and make you different. Selfish ambitions and then dissensions. That's someone who's just argumentative. Wants to always look for, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here or whatever, you know. But they're always arguing. No matter what you say, they're always arguing. I just tell them, you should have become a lawyer, you know. You'd have probably been great at it. But I've known people that are always looking for a fight. And so God says, that spirit of dissension in you, I'd like to replace with something beautiful. All characteristics here that should be absent totally or at very least decreasing in our lives after we've been born of the Spirit. You might be thinking about this point. You mean I'm supposed to be sinless? I tell people all the time, now that I'm a Christian, I'm not sinless, but I do sin less. Amen? We should sin less now that we are Christians. And that includes these works of the flesh, not just the big ones, okay? Interesting here that the next on Paul's list is heresies. Doctrines that are false, dogmas that are false, following after the latest and greatest uh, new twist of the scriptures. There are a lot of people who are just, they seem to be prone to that stuff, you know? I can't tell you how many young Mormon boys that I've met, or older Mormon boys, and they say, well, I used to be a Jehovah's Witness, or I used to be in the Christian science movement, you know? And you say, what? They're going from one heresy to another. They just seem to be attracted to that stuff. And God says, that's a work of the flesh. That's something I want to cleanse you of. No more heresies. I like what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. He used to tell us, if it's old, I'm sorry, if it's new, it probably isn't true. <laughs> but if it's old, let it be told. Speak it. Preach it, brother, you know? Next, envy is included on Paul's list. Then murders kind of speaks for itself. Again, it's one of the big ten. Speaking of the Big Ten, Ten Commandments, there are many unbelievers that feel that they're okay. Maybe there are even believers that feel this way. They're, they're okay with God because they've never violated any of the Big Ten. 
I've never violated any of the Ten Commandments, you know. Oh, it says thou shalt not bear false witness. You shouldn't lie. You've never lied, you know. I think all of us would probably admit, ah, I guess I've done that one before. You know, throughout the Bible, as Bible students, we know that there are many, many other sins that are listed in these pages. I was told that there are 643 points of the law in the Old Testament that were to be maintained, kept, obeyed by the children of Israel. 643. I don't know about you, but that's getting tough for me, okay? Right? I mean, really, I have a tough time with the, with the Big Ten. It was 643. And the Bible says if we offend in one area of the law, we've offended the whole law. What did God tell Moses when, and, and the children of Israel when he was speaking to them after giving the law? Be ye perfect as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. Be perfect. Perfect. No man can live perfectly. No woman can live perfectly. And you would be right in saying that. But thank God for Jesus Christ. Amen. He did live perfectly. Perfectly. He died on the cross and said, now I'm going to transfer their sins onto me. And they don't have to be so concerned about that anymore. All they got to do is put their faith in me. And again, if you've never been born again, all it means is you're putting your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Forgiven of our sins. Last couple of items on Paul's list of works of the flesh. One is drunkenness. I've had many discussions with, even semi-arguments with people who want to tell me that this means that Christians should not drink a drop of alcohol. I don't think that's what's saying here, okay? It's just saying we should not allow ourselves to be overcome by drink. You see, it changes everything in us our inhibitions, our perception. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like to drive with people who've been drinking anything, even a little bit, because you never know. What do they say now on the TV? It says, uh, buzz driving is drunk driving. You're going to get pulled over, and you're going to get arrested. But that's for another time we can discuss that. After drunkenness... The word is used revelries. Revelries means anything from carousing, cutting loose, or even rioting. What we've been seeing on our televisions, going on in Portland and in Seattle and in all these places, these are, are revelries. These are works of the flesh, okay? I have an opinion of it. I think that most of what's going on out there is just a form of partying. They're just having a good old time. And they're burning and they're looting and they're doing all this destructive stuff. This would all be included in what is called here revelries. I pray, 
I pray that as I'm watching the television and watching the news and seeing the riots going on, that I don't see somebody carrying a big fuzzy Bible or something, you know, or wearing a big cross or, you know, saying one way Jesus or whatever, you know, because we Christians ought not to participate in revelries like this. Would you agree with that? I, th I hope you would. After revelries, Paul says, and the like. And this goes back to my statement I made earlier. It demonstrates that this is not an all-inclusive list of works of the flesh. And the like. There are lots of other things that could be added here. Maybe you have your own that you could add. Maybe you have a, a friend. Maybe, uh, you know, wife could look at them and say, yeah, you do this too. You know, right? uh, it's not all-inclusive here. So don't feel that you get a free pass because your particular sin is not listed here. Notice how Paul concludes after listing the works of the flesh. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a key word here. Paul says those who practice such things practice habitually it's a bad habit that just they keep doing over and over and over again have no desire to change they have no desire to uh, seek God's wisdom on it they would never ever think of going to God and saying I'm sorry for doing these things I I want to repent and ask you to help me to behave differently in these areas of my life you see, there is or should be a big difference between the unbeliever and the believer, the non-Christian and the Christian. I don't mean to say that, you know, both, you know, either way, okay, right? There's a difference between unbelievers and believers. You see, before I was saved and I did these things, I was never convicted of them. It never bothered me at all. You know, just do them and, without any kind of... <coughs> thinking twice about it, without ever thinking that I was doing anything wrong. I justified everything I did. I rationalized everything I did. I spun everything that I did. Sounds like a politician. <laughs> there is a big difference between Christians and unchristians in these matters. First, as Christians, we can say, thank God. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Then David the psalmist wrote in Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David continues, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I have not hidden 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is we have some place to go when we know we have erred, when we know that we have committed sin. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says if we confess our sin, he, Jesus, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, simple confession is all it takes. You don't have to go into a little private booth where you slide the door open or whatever, you know. You can go to them right where you are, in the car, at home, at the dining table, in bed, wherever, and confess your sin before God. God, I didn't behave well in that situation. Would you forgive me and cleanse me and give me the right perspective on these things? God has not dealt with us according to our sins. In other words, he's not uh, saying, okay, I'm keeping score here, you know, and, and that's Five times you've done that. That's 20 times you've done that. And you're going to get 20 times the punishment. I remember when I used to confess to the priest in my former church. And if it was really bad, if the list was really long and really bad, he'd say, okay, you got to do 50 of this prayer and 25 of that prayer, you know, right? I got really good at saying it fast, you know, right? Go back and, you know? Like it really means anything, you know? But we can go and simply confess. Simple as saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to change. Well, I couldn't complete this message without at least reading through what's called the fruit of the Spirit. So continuing in verse 22 of chapter 5 Galatians, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. And note, note that it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It just says the fruit. Now, it does say the works, plural, of the flesh, but only singular fruit. One fruit. There are good Bible teachers, including the founder of our great movement, Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, who said there's only one fruit, and that fruit is love. Everything else there is basically defining or describing what that love looks like. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then joy, and peace, and kindness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, they all describe that love. I love the way... Paul sums this whole thing up when he says, against such, there is no law. You see, the law wasn't completely ripped up when Jesus came. He just said, I know it's impossible to keep the law. You can't keep the law. But I'm going to give you my spirit in you. And you're going to be able to sail over it. And that's what he's doing in our lives teaching us by his power, by his grace, by his love. Remember the message, uh, the title of this message, or the subtitle, The Victorious Supremacy of Love. 
Fruit is good. I love fruit. I love especially summer fruits. They're the best, you know? I kind of get myself sick sometimes. I bought a big bag of cherries the other day, and I think I ate them all in one sitting. And my tummy reminded me of that later on that night. But I love good fruit. You know what? God loves good fruit too. And he wants for good fruit to be coming from our lives. Now he prunes us. He cultivates us. He takes good care of us. If, if we're abiding in the vine, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and the branch cannot bear fruit of its own. You gotta be connected to the vine. Fruit is good. Fruit has several important characteristics. Number one, it develops by abiding in the vine. Number two, remember that fruit is fragile. It's very fragile. It can bruise easily. It can go bad easily. Fruit also reproduces itself. Within the fruit are the seeds that can reproduce. Fruit also is very attractive. Good fruit looks so good, you know? That's why they make that plastic fruit that you can put on your table as a centerpiece or whatever, because it looks really pretty, you know? Sometimes better than the real fruit. You feel like that would taste good to eat, you know? And take a bite and it's just plastic. I think most importantly, fruit nourishes. Fruit's good for our health. And the fruit of the spirit here is also good for our spiritual health. You say, well... Pastor Lawrence, you're talking about love and the fruit of the Spirit is love. What does that love look like? Simple. I'm going to read it to you, okay, and we'll conclude here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm sure you've heard this before. I'm sure you've been to any weddings at all. It was read there, you know, and well, it should, because this is the love that God is describing to us here. Now, the word love is an interesting one. You know, we have lots of words for love, or we use the word love for lots of different things, you know. I love Lay's potato chips, you know, right? I love a beautiful sunset. I love this. I love that, you know. Even the, the guy who's maybe drunk a couple too many beers, and he says, I love you, man, you know, right? And so there's lots of different ways that we use that word. You know, in the Bible, there's at least three and probably four uses of the word love. There's the love called phileo. I'm sorry, sorry, let me start with eros, okay? Love that is eros, which just means simply physical love. Don't have to take that uh, connotation badly. There is physical love, you know? Nice kiss on the cheek, whatever. It's physical love. It's called eros. We happen to get the word erotic uh, in the English from that, but that's not all it means. It's just physical love. Then you have the word phileo. Everybody's heard that before? And like I said before, phileo isn't the fish sandwich at McDonald's, okay? Phileo just means simply brotherly love. You know, the uh, Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Not because there's so much brotherly love there, it's because that's where they got the word from, Philadelphia. So you have eros, physical love, Phileo, which is brotherly love. Then you have storge, which is basically a mother's love. It's called familial, but I would say more motherly love, okay? And that's a special kind of love. Wouldn't you agree with that? There's, 
No love like the love of a mother, you know? I miss my dear past mom. She passed away about 10 years ago, and I miss her. And I miss her because, you know, no matter what she knew of me, she always called me her hito. That means my loved one. And so that was a mother's love. So that's the third kind. But then you have agape or agapeo. Now, agapeo, interestingly, that kind of love was never really understood by the Greeks, because it's a Greek word, until Jesus Christ died on the cross. Greater love, he said, has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then what did Jesus do? He laid down his life. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's, it's a love that loves even if the person isn't worthy of it, isn't deserving of it. The old King James uses, instead of the word love, it uses the word charity. And that, that kind of comes closer to the idea. When we give charity, we don't know who's getting it or why they're getting it or are they deserving of it? Are they not deserving of it? We just give charitably. That's love. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they can say it way better than, Paul can say it way better than I did. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. And I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I know, or then I shall know just as I also am. As I'm also known, I'm sorry. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, is the Holy Spirit's mission to train each of us, Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in love, that we not, might not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Help us in these things, Lord. We confess to you that we're weak. We confess to you, Lord, that we give in much too often to the promptings of the flesh, Lord, the old sinful nature. We want, Lord, to please you. We want to be able to bless others. 
We want to be, Lord, good witnesses for you, Lord. Just living our lives, Lord, after the Holy Spirit's promptings. Lord, we commit this to you. We ask, Lord, that these words that we've heard today would speak to us, Lord, in the coming days, that we might grow according to the desire of our Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this, Lord, and we just love you again in Jesus' name. Amen.